in the long run is a custody of digital assets in general. So that might be token, any kind of tokenized securities, bonds, shares, ETC, which are trillion dollar markets ahead. And if, if all this is tokenized, then all the technique and the know-how uh, you have from doing custody for cryptocurrencies is needed next to some regulatory peculiarities, but it's needed to hold these tokenized assets. And that's where really the music plays. And the question is, how important is custody here as a door opener to these markets or as a strategic control point? Welcome to Untitled Investment Talks, the podcast about digital assets for professional investors. Today, we put a special focus on custody. My name is Simon Schaber. I'm one of the founders of Untitled Inc. and Untitled Investment Expertise, and I will be your host for the episode. Today, I'm here with my Untitled Investment Expertise colleague, Carl Michael, to discuss how Germany, out of all the countries, came to establish a gold standard when it comes to the custody of digital assets. Carl Michael, uh, glad that you're here with me. Yeah, hi, hi Simon. I'm, I'm really pleasure joining you in this podcast. Huh? That's great here. How are you doing recently? Uh, interesting developments in the markets, right? We've been uh, in the article that we're going to discuss today, writing a lot about uh, an increase in interest from institutional investors in cryptocurrencies. And I mean, there's no nicer feeling than seeing this thesis uh, confirmed once again by very high volumes in the markets. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, what happened over the last uh, couple of weeks, especially in Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think is a further driver for for digital assets, especially cryptocurrencies um, and their, their way into the institutional um, investor space. Uh, we, we all know that there are some institutional investors uh, already there. But I think it's it's um, a big uh, exchanges, regulated exchanges like CME in uh, in, in the US, but uh, we'll also see uh, in, in in Germany uh, uh, big exchanges moving uh, with derivatives in, into the market. I think that there's overall a a huge bull run uh, for crypto in general, and and one one absolutely. Uh, important piece for institutional, especially large institutional investors, cryptocurrencies. Yes, uh, no question. And, and uh, especially super interesting because Germany um, as a country got into the lead with their uh, new crypto custody regulation, I think, which, which we will we'll talk about today. Huh? Absolutely. I mean, this is really, uh, there's really two ways of getting into crypto for or getting exposure to crypto for institutionals right there's the exchange regulated products like these etcs that we've uh, seen coming up a lot where um, some synthetic products are backed by bitcoin backed by ethereum so you can kind of get exposure to the market developments without actually owning them and then there's actually owning them there's actually holding uh, the assets themselves how do you see these developments i mean um it's a question of, of risk averseness of, uh, uh, of the investor, be it a retail investor or be it an institutional investor. I think in this podcast, maybe we uh, mostly will focus on the, on the institutional side. Um, 
Uh, any product uh, which is a derivative obviously has a premium for the one who issued the, the derivative. Um, um, but uh, this premium, obviously, investors or institutional investors like to pay um, because this is a more safe way of investing uh, into cryptocurrencies. The ones who are more the early movers, who are um, more open to risk, will most probably hold their own pieces of, uh, of cryptocurrencies. And especially for these guys, obviously, they need uh, a way to safely store their, uh, their assets. And then that this is quite different from, from being someone who trades, so uses cryptocurrencies on a daily basis, uh, whereas people who are hodlers and, and hold whatever Bitcoin is here for, for a long time. And, and this is also how uh, we think that the crypto custody market is, is kind of splitting up a little bit according to these, uh, these different use cases. It's very interesting, right? We saw just a few weeks ago, a month ago, um, that Grayscale is uh, selling these Ethereum-backed products for 700% premium right now, and they are like being traded actively. So as you mentioned, it definitely pays to, um, it can definitely be more interesting to actually go the entire way and figure out how to hold it yourself, hold the assets yourself and how to uh, safely store them while still being able to trade. Because obviously um, ease of access to assets is always a bit of a counterintuitive thing when you're thinking about how do you keep the assets as safe as possible because of course when you need to use them in a very fast way very often multiple times a day if you need to um, reshuffle your holdings uh, you need to be able to do that um, fast and in an easy way at the same time of course you want your assets to be as safe as possible you want uh, there to be controls you want there to be checks um, you want um, you want to have proper governance when it comes to access to funds so um, you mentioned it already. Um, of course, this is where custody providers come in. Um, this is where the scramble for the largest piece of the cake in the custody business, especially right now in Germany, is really evolving right now. Uh, uh, Simon, since we are talking about this, this German piece, maybe we will give uh, our listeners a bit insight into what's happening in the in the German custody scene. C can you give us some, some ideas uh, what all this new license from the German regulator BaFin is all about and, and why does it shake up the, the crypto custody market? Absolutely. I think that's a good input. I think if you're from Germany and if you're active in the crypto industry here, you often forget that um, it's not it's not well known around the world that uh, BaFin just introduced, uh, just uh, a while ago actually introduced a new licensing process that is um, quite interesting, quite forward thinking, I would even call it. Um, I, I think they're doing good work right now, um, where basically um, they laid out uh, uh, a new licensing process, whereas um, every, uh, basically every business that's storing or managing uh, digital crypto assets um, had to uh, had to signal to them that they want to be active in this industry um, until March of uh, this year. And uh, by doing so, in doing so, um, they're basically, uh, they've been taken into this grandfathering uh, scheme where they're allowed to keep serving the German market, uh, where they're allowed to um, go on with uh, their business as they used to do before, um, even though they don't have a license yet. And this um, is a substantial 
sorry, this is a substantial number of players, right? 55, uh, I think, uh, have um, uh, expressed their interest, right? Yeah, that was completely, that came completely out of left field for me. Like, I, I was thinking at first maybe 30. If 30 would be a high number. And I've mentioned to a couple of friends and colleagues that, um, yeah, if, there might be 30. But of course, the 55 is, is uh, crazy. It's, um, it really shows how many, of course, not all of them will actually hand in a proper application that takes a lot of time, money, and documentation. But still, 55 um, expressing interest is a huge number, especially yes, for I, the German I, market, right? Yes, and, and I think we, we've talked to a couple of, uh, of people, obviously, who are um, going for the, for the license, but also to technology providers. And at, at least like a month ago, uh, most were of the opinion that out of this 55, only 10 or 15 will really apply for the license. I meanwhile have a different opinion. I hear more and more, just, just yesterday we heard about someone who uh, handed in the documents for the license uh, quite in advance of the of November 30th, which is the, the final final deadline. And I think there might much many more than the the, the 10 or 15 uh, will line up. So uh, maybe we'll get more than 20 uh, people who are um, uh, going for this. But 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 why why do you think uh, are so many? Uh, people interested in doing custody in Germany. I mean, custody is a, a scale business, right? So not everyone mm. uh, will survive. What do you think? Who, who are who are these guys who are going for the license? I mean, first, uh, I, I agree actually by now. Like I also used to think maybe 10 or maybe 10 people actually, uh, 10 companies actually hand in a proper application. But by now, also, as you mentioned, what I've heard, so many have already handed in by now, which were seen as like the smaller players, right? Um, many thought that um, this whole application process, licensing process, costs uh, like a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money, and only the bigger institutional ones, maybe also legacy players, will be able to properly do it. By now, I really don't think so anymore. By now, I think we will be surprised by November who actually um, handed in uh, proper documentation. I'm also pretty sure that... Um, most of them are doing it very diligently and will properly, properly, um, probably receive a license in the end of the day. So I think we might end up by the end of the year or the beginning of next year um, with a way larger amount of licensed custodians in Germany than anyone probably expected. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I fully agree. Maybe, maybe we we'll give a little outline on on the categories of uh, uh, of players there. I mean. We uh, we wrote this article about a gold standard, and and in this article we had like five, at least four, five groups of uh, of um, companies which we think uh, going to apply. I think one was uh, obviously banks, like innovative banks, who would most probably have Solaris, Ten Thirty One, maybe Commerzbank, main uh, main incubator. Uh, we have Munich-based banks, like like. Uh, Bank von der Heide and Frankfurt's uh, Hauck and Aufhäuser. So this innovative bank is, is, is one cluster. Uh, what are the others? Uh, who are the others who go for such, a, for such a license or might go for such a license? I mean, we see these, of course, established and larger uh, fintechs that already like have the funds, have the scale to uh, really take advantage of this new regulatory environment because in general, always like regulation kind of helps 
at least in relative terms, um, the more established players, the larger players, those who can afford to go with it. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, um, I think a surprising number of the smaller, more agile and early stage players that are coming in um, will really roll up the market, will really um, bring in new approaches. Like um, we're seeing the Finoas, we're seeing the Tangeni, we're seeing um, many applicants that are really not coming from a history of being custodians or being institutions or even being uh, in the financial industry. Like, of course, the founders and the team members, but not the, the companies themselves. So I think we will see a lot of these smaller, newly and especially founded to do crypto custody business uh, companies that will be licensed and that will bring something new to the table. Yes. And, and I think in addition, um, what uh, before we did our, our research and talked to people on the market, which I wasn't absolutely uh, not aware of, is that next to these, let's say, young fintechs who have crypto custody as their kind of core offering, there are people uh, in the market like KYC, AML specialists. So we heard about Fractal, for example, uh, mm -hmm. who are going for such a license or other fintechs like crowd lending providers like Capilendo are in there and even uh, tech enablers like Riddle and Code from Austria or others are kind of thinking about um, uh, uh, entering the market. Not clear whether uh, Riddle, and Code, Riddle and Code, for example, will go there, but for Fractal, the KYC AML specialist and Capilendo, uh, they really um, uh, said they are definitely interested to, to go in there. So this is interesting. The other thing is, do you think these are only German companies who will find uh, in there or do you think there are a couple of players from abroad also entering the German market? I mean, there's multiple approaches, right? Uh, at first, like for the first part of the question, I think there's actually a surprising amount of um, German companies that are going for it relative to anyone else. I think most of the people, uh, companies supplying um, are from Germany. Of course, uh, for larger exchanges and uh, wallet providers and so on it's not really like it's not really a choice whether they want to apply or not because many of them have a large amount of german customers and uh, they are holding their funds already so they're kind of forced um, to become licensed anyways um, and of course there's multiple ways of doing so uh, they can acquire licensed uh, entities or like entities that are um, in the licensing process that are in the grandfathering scheme and that will hand in uh, application by the end of the year by november um, or of course they um, well go through the process themselves with a local entity um, with a specifically founded entity to um, become licensed so um, we see a coinbase we see a binance we probably also see a kraken bitgo um, get into the market of course like here um, there are players that invested uh, large amounts of money into a custody infrastructure um, like a Coinbase um, or a Genesis trading that are really um, leading the field in technology terms. But of course, um, they need to still get, go through the licensing process in Germany, especially since it's like the highest, uh, it's the highest mount to climb in, in the licensing world for crypto custody right now. And of course, if you fulfill those requirements, 
then you have the documentation for um, any other place, basically. You will not have much trouble in uh, becoming licensed and being able to operate, in, especially in other European states and nations. You're absolutely right. Maybe we say uh, uh, two or three words on the, on the license requirement and why they are special and, and why we think in Germany a kind of gold standard is, uh, is, uh, is established here. So one thing, or, uh, one criteria, there are a couple of criteria, but, but on, a, on a high level, one you mentioned already, it requires an established entity in Germany. So you cannot just do passporting from any other EU country. You have to be present in Germany. Your company has to be registered uh, uh, in Germany. That's one thing. The second thing is you need 125 thousand initial capital euro initial capital so here um it gets interesting for less uh, well-funded startups or it gets it can get risky and in addition you have to show uh, that you have enough cash to finance your operations for the for the for the coming i think two or or three years so um, this is nothing for um, uh, for lightweight startups. You need uh, really good funding uh, to enter the market. This is the second second piece. The third piece, you need an experienced team, right? And I think experience refers to, on the one hand side, experience in cryptography, but also on uh, experience um, in, uh, in in doing custody and especially that you know risk management procedures and policies. So the classical, uh, let's say, compliance obligations, um, uh, which which banks or financial institutions have to follow. And that's not easy, uh, especially for, for a young startup, because they have to hire people and they have to hire experienced people, which costs a lot of money. So overall, um, there are a couple of, let's say, financial uh, uh, barriers to overcome on the one hand side. And on the other hand side, uh, risk management frameworks are well crafted in Germany. So BaFin, the German regulators, uh, market risk standards are well known. Uh, people have to adhere to banking IT uh, uh, standards. Um, and next to everything they do in in uh, in a proper cryptographic management uh, of the keys. So that all uh, are quite substantial barriers which we think not like uh, anyone will be able to pass and and uh, uh, on the one hand side but on the other hand side if if you go through this license process you really um it, it's 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 even like a, a kind of certification uh, you get here that you you pass this at least regulatory requirements uh, in germany and, and if you've done so I think that opens business up in, in all EU because currently Germany has the strictest uh, policy on, uh, uh, on, uh, on crypto custody. Yeah, yeah I ab absolutely think, uh, as you said, that this business needs a holistic approach. Uh, you need to be able not only to provide the governance uh, part, but also to be at the very at the very forefront of uh, new technological developments. Like we've had this whole multi-sig, um, HSM and uh, MPC, multi-party computing uh, debate, where of course there's no clear answer yet. Um, what is the definitive way of storing and custodying assets on a technical, uh, from a technical perspective? Also because it, it can't be seen just from a technical perspective. You need to, need to see it as one whole, um, as a, 
from a holistic standpoint that uh, governance needs to fit the technological process, um, the actual um, access to assets uh, needs to be on a human level and on a technological level. And it's, it's kind of one thing. You can't really separate it because um, if people fail, you need to have standards in place that make sure that uh, the customer's uh, assets are still safe. And if technology fails, um, you need to still have uh, processes in place that make sure that the assets are safe, that one can um, one can kind of help out if the other doesn't work or if there's an issue with the other. But at the same time, uh, one cannot work without the other, if I, wanna, if I might say it that way. That's absolutely correct. Maybe for, uh, for for our listeners, what do you think is the major difference between custody in a retail space, so you personally uh, store and save your Bitcoin, Ethereum, versus custody in an institutional uh, in an institutional space or environment? What would you say? What makes the difference? I mean, yeah, that's really the question about, uh, I think, first to define retail and uh, institutional space. So, uh, I mean, from a technological perspective, if I, for example, have uh, 100,000, 200,000 uh, of my assets worth in Bitcoin or Ethereum at Coinbase, uh, they are not basically, they're not fundamentally stored differently. Um, I don't, um, my assets are not in a separate vault or like in, in different data centers. Um, they store them uh, fundamentally the same way. It's more about the way I um, get to interact with my assets and uh, the user experience, basically, my interface and um, the the process and support that I get. Um, I pay extra as an institutional um, for the ability to um, interact with my assets differently and to manage, um, again, uh, assets of my clients again if i'm the institutional i use coinbase for example as a custodian um, i have clients again um, whose assets i take care of i manage and then of course i need um, the ability to to separate those assets into different accounts so that they're clearly stored separately from one another so that um, if there's an issue with one account um, it's it's not the issue with all the account that um, if there's a security risk um, for the assets of one of my clients, it doesn't mean that all the other funds of all the other clients are in jeopardy. Um, I have very different also regulatory uh, requirements that I need to fulfill as an institutional managing other people's assets. Um, then it's me as an individual I have um, when storing and dealing with my own assets. Um, so it's that's the funny thing. It's kind of, it's fundamentally different in um which requirements I need to fulfill because I'm an institutional. But at the same time, the technological approach is uh, not that different because um, the crypto assets at the end of the day, and that's the beauty, I have completely new ways of storing them securely available. Yeah, I think uh, uh, to, to highlight one, uh, one point, uh, what makes the big difference between, let's say, a private uh, uh, one like us storing either our assets, if at all, in a hot wallet uh, and or bringing it to, to our own cold, uh, cold wallet uh, stuff. Uh, compared to what the institutional guys do in the institutional space because of, the, uh, of compliance and risk reduction uh, or risk control uh, features, you normally have a kind of multi 
person or multi-role access structure to asset uh, to access the asset or trade the asset. So it's not one person who knows the keys and can potentially abuse it, but it's at least two, three people who have to approve uh, that a certain asset is stored in custody, brought in or accessed uh, um, uh, via custody. And um, there are a couple of technologies which you mentioned, which especially deal with uh, with this piece, so multi-signature and multi-party computing, which I think we will talk about uh, in, in one of the later um, uh, podcasts, because it's a very specific uh, subject which 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 would worth to to have a longer longer talk on it but let's come back to the um crypto custody um, custody markets i mean um if the the bars are relatively high in germany uh, to get a license do you think all the the smaller fintechs will drop out of the market on the one hand side and it will be a big issue for traditional banks because they normally don't have this much know-how in cryptographic storage um, uh, compared to to uh, of custody of of let's say more traditional assets. Do you think there will be nothing left out of this ten, twenty, or or very few left out of this twenty? Um, or more companies we would see getting uh, a buffing license? I mean, it depends on the time frame you look at, right? I definitely believe that we will see very strong consolidation within the market in the next, let's say, five years. Uh, but if we look only for the into the licensing process right now, I absolutely believe that many of the small players that are applying um, will get through successfully. Um, I also think the banks going forward, um, the more traditional players will probably also get through it. Um, I think the license... The requirements are quite reasonable and everything we know, talking to Buffin, talking to people going for the license, um, Buffin is very reasonable. They're very helpful. Um, most people working there, um, of course, I don't know about every single one, but everyone I've been talking to, also you've been talking to what I heard, um, everyone there's really, very supportive, very responsive. Um, it's uh, They're doing a really good job. So I don't think anyone who's serious is too afraid because it's not the... It's not a black box where you just send in whatever you have and then you hope for the best. It's like a um, it's a, commun it's a communication process, a back and forth, and it's like when you write a PhD or a master's thesis, you don't just like write anything of like eighty pages, then hand it in and pray for the best. But you like you work with someone on the thesis, and in the end, when you hand it in, it's it's not gonna be what what is this? Uh, you will not receive your title. Um, so. I don't think anyone has to be afraid, but yeah, definitely. I believe there will be consolidation because it's, um, as you said earlier, uh, I think it's a business of scale. Custody itself is, the profitability is questionable. Maybe we see new ways of monetizing um, these crypto assets um, that we haven't really seen in traditional custody markets before, but um, generally the trend goes towards um, broker dealer like businesses um, towards seeing custody as kind of the entry in the entry point, the entrance point um, to many other businesses. So like if I hold um, people's businesses, institutions, funds, um, then I have an easier time um, selling them additional services because they're already on my platform. If your customer at my platform, you can 
immediately trade at uh, our partners. You can trade at our own uh, exchange. And I, tr I, as a custodian, will try to monetize that way. But that is also a big, I think, kind of winner-takes-it-all business. Uh, like, we see the consolidation in the, let's say, traditional, sounds weird to say, the traditional crypto exchange market, um, where we have a couple of large exchanges, like uh, Binance, like Coinbase, like uh, maybe still Kraken. Um, and, you know, I was there in the early day, uh, like 2013, 14, 15 maybe still 2016, there were so many exchanges and I'm not even talking about decentralized exchanges or DEXs. I'm talking about like actual um, like actual organizations, businesses being run by uh, by real people in a certain uh, office um, that aren't really around that much anymore. Like maybe you go there to find some obscure coins, but um, most people and the biggest business is really happening on the big exchanges and I, I believe we will see the same thing here in the custody market especially when it goes towards lending when it goes towards additional services and broker dealer like yeah yeah absolutely absolutely agree with is it custody in this sense is is a scale business you need cost advantage you need to be big on the one hand side on the other hand side custody is a strategic control point to get into other higher margin product businesses like prime brokerage uh, um, which you mentioned, but but you might be able then later on not to just think only about cryptocurrency, so the Bitcoin, the Ethereum's, but especially what the the bigger banks are after uh, in the long run is a custody of digital assets in general. So that might be token any kind of tokenized securities, bonds, shares, etc., which are trillion dollar markets ahead, and if if all this is tokenized, then all the technique and the know-how uh, you have from doing custody for cryptocurrencies is needed, next to some regulatory peculiarities, but is needed to hold these tokenized assets. And that's where really the music plays. And the question is, how important is custody here as a door opener to these markets or as a strategic control point? And we think banks for good reasons are somehow shy or struggle uh, these big traditional banks to enter into the crypto space but as soon as this digital asset tokenized uh, market unlocks there is a big threat that uh, the banks will suffer the same um, in the crypto or digital asset space same suffer the same as they did in the payment uh, market where lots of their market share uh, was taken away by specialized uh, payment providers. So custody itself, although scale and, and, and cost advantage business from a strategic point is much, much bigger. And I think that's also why there's so much heated debate, why there is now significant influx um, of additional capital funding um, uh, into new custodians or people who, who run the technology for it. Overall, that's uh, a market not to uh, not to the importance of custody not to underestimate uh, for the for the future market uh, uh, positioning. Yeah, um, maybe um, uh, uh, coming to um, uh, more to an end of our our conversation. 
would be if you would be a custodian and you, and, and uh, you think okay Germany has this gold standard but I'm not from Germany I'm not from the EU or I'm even um, I'm maybe in the EU want to enter the the, the German market what do you think what are the key questions you have to answer um, if you want to position in 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 the German market. Of course, that's a, a like an easy question for the end that can be easily and quickly answered. Uh, no, it's it's of course a multitude of things, right? Um, first of all, serving German customers as a big question: Do I already do that? Do I want to get into that? Do I want to start advertising in the German market? Um, who are my customers? Um, am I a B two B? custodian or technology provider? Um, do I want to be in the background, in the foreground? Do I want to interact with the um, consumer or with the end customer? Or do I want to um, provide again to others? Uh, it depends, of course, heavily on all of those things. In general, if you are looking, um, especially at the Buffin license and uh, want to acquire that, it's of course, do I want to go through the process? Do I want to make the effort? And do I want to spend significant time and effort on uh, going through it, going through a process. Um, as you mentioned, there's capital requirements. Um, you need a local entity. Uh, it's mostly, though, about hiring the right people that can fulfill the right roles because you are required to have um, the correct governance in place. And that's what uh, Buffin is mostly looking at. It's They are pretty agnostic when it comes to um, how you actually store the assets uh, from a technological point of view. Um, because at the end, it's about people. And that's how Waffen sees it. It's about people and uh, trust. So the question is, um, do you have access, depending on the size, of course, of your operation, do you have access to um, the right kind of people? Can you afford to hire them? Um, is it worth it to enter the German market? Um, is it worth hiring them for that? But of course, looking further, um, can you afford uh, not to do it, of course, um, seeing as this won't be a one-nation thing. Um, Buffen has established a great standard here, mostly because, um, unfortunately, because uh, Germany was not willing and content to wait for European solution that might, have, that might still take until 2025, uh, maybe the end of the decade again. Um, so other states will follow. And if you fulfill um, Buffin requirements and all of a sudden there's a European um, director, uh, directive and uh, European regulation, I believe that will be heavily oriented on what Buffin demands. And in many member states, there will be licensing requirements that will be coming and will be very well-defined also. So it's kind of a question... Do I want to do the work now and then be already prepared, be one of the first um, that can really take part in this um, fight for fight for market share and while the consolidation happens, already be active, be operating? Or do I kind of want to um, push it out and deal with it when I have to? Uh, I think that's the main question. Yeah, I, I, I fully fully agree with uh, uh, with you on this. Uh, what I think, and, and, and uh, from our earlier discussions, I think we agree on this, is that with this kind of gold standard in Germany, the overall bars in the international markets for for offering attractive custody and, and reliable custody services is, uh, have really been raised significantly, right? Mm. 
So, uh, especially if you are a custody provider, most probably from institutional actors in general, um, uh, and in special specific combination with this new license here, you will have much, um, um, will undergo much more thorough analysis um, um, uh, when you want to be a custody provider for, for especially for, for large institutional funds, because market standards have been raised, uh, regulatory standards uh, have been raised and the market is much, much better, better educated. I mean, we ourselves with our Custody 360 product, we look at, at more than 200 criteria uh, if, if we evaluate the crypto custodian. That's uh, not only security and compliance. There are lots of other criteria which, which are relevant. If, if the whole piece insured, um, uh, do you have certain certifications? What's your fee structure? What's your business model uh, up to redundancy and disaster recovery? So, so overall, we think the standards have been raised, and I think that's very good for the for the industry uh, in itself, and it will further spur uh, cryptocurrency and in the future digital asset uh, tokenization. Because one missing piece now in the formula or or in the puzzle is there. With uh, with uh, with reliable uh, custody services, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think much of the market has really been waiting for regulatory clarity. Uh, I remember back in 2016 um, when I was uh, doing some consulting work for companies wanting to get into the crypto world, and um, most of the questions I got were always like, "Simon, can we?" do this like simon is there um like is this a lot is this legal is there i'm not a lawyer of course so i could only point towards there is i know there is some regulation or i think there is none really and then when we of course would go to uh, talk to colleagues who are lawyers um most of the answers we would get would be yeah this could be uh, in uh, treated in as an analogy to this and that from financial markets for example or from commodity markets but of course there were no real um, real cases uh, yet that you can orient you orientate yourself with. There were no proper um, outlines. There was really not a lot of guidance given. And we're getting there by now, which, of course, brings in so much more of traditional financial uh, markets, uh, players, and so much more from the banking world, uh, so many more players, that's kind of hold back until now. And I believe that as soon as we see the first, maybe one or two bigger banking players, bigger players in general, um, especially in Germany, we will see a domino effect. And um, all of a sudden, within one or two months, we will see many, many announcements from big players um, that we kind of already see happening this year um, within the next couple of months. Yes, that, that's what uh, what we've heard. Currently, especially big traditional uh, organizations are a little bit shy of announcing things, but we expect a couple of things coming in the next two or three months. Simon, I have one last question. Um, and this last question is uh, looking to the future. That was an interesting talk. I mean, our first talk here um, recorded on a, uh, uh, on a podcast. Is there anything up for um, any idea for for a next talk um, we're gonna have in cryptocurrency or uh, in general in um, uh, with regards to tokenization of assets or how institutional investors are going to be engaged in um, 
uh, in, in this new digital world? Absolutely. Uh, so I think we can all look forward to uh, what's going to come. So I think it's um, about the time to start talking about it regularly and also more openly um, to get more people involved. Um, so with this format of podcast, we are aiming to do this every two weeks and um, bring out about half an hour to 45 minutes, depending on the topic um, of contents. And the topics, of course, in this, um, in this series will range from uh, safekeeping of assets to um, development of new financial markets, new crypto markets. But of course, as Untitled Investment Expertise, um, our focus is not only on custody, not only on safekeeping of assets but and regulatory um, requirements, but also on the investment expertise. That's the IE and UIE um, in Untitled Investment Expertise. So we will also be talking about other topics like upcoming uh, projects, market developments. And of course, the thing I am personally most looking forward to is we will have many, many exciting and interesting guests, um, all from the market leaders, uh, market leading institutions and companies, and uh, some of the greatest, most well-known and respected experts in the markets right now. And I can't wait, um, to be honest, to talk to all of them and have interesting discussions that we will finally not only be having behind closed doors, but be able to have on this podcast format. Perfect. Cool. Simon, I'm looking forward to our next talk and hope some of our listeners uh, will do as well. Yeah. hope so too. Um, thank you very much for being here, joining me today and um, all the best until then.